This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to talk about today. I'll have John Marthaler on the show in a little bit to talk soccer, Minnesota United, a little bit of history too, kind of looking back at the birth of this franchise, even going back before Major League Soccer. So looking forward to that conversation with John. Also get into plenty of current stuff with the Loons as well. The Lynx, not happy at all about the free throw discrepancy between them and the Connecticut Sun in their game on Thursday night. Second straight loss for Minnesota to Connecticut. I'll get into that a little while later, as well as St. Paul is the place you want to be in order to see um, two pretty prominent uh, players who could have an impact on the Twins going forward. But first, what did I miss? So after I did the Patrick Beverly trade breakdown the other day um, on the show, I got an email, or actually it was a tweet, I think, from a, a reader, listener, Steven, saying, hey, could you rank your three, the three best and three worst or three favorite, three least favorite trades in Wolves history? So I spent a day or two kind of thinking about it and thought, you know, that would be good, a good kind of look back. And it's, it's fair, too, right, because we're going to do the best and the worst so let's do that. Let's start with the let's start with the best. I know usually you like to end on a high note, but I'm gonna start with the best. Let's just get get the good stuff right away. So I'm gonna rank these. Number three, my third favorite or the third best trade in Wolves history. Let's start with some controversy. I'm gonna say the Jimmy Butler trade where they swapped uh Zach Levine, uh the pick that became Laurie Markinen and Chris Dunn for Jimmy Butler on draft night in 2017. I still think that was a really good trade. Um it didn't work out long term with Jimmy Butler. Um obviously cuz he left, you know, a little over a year later, but the trade itself uh was a net positive. The Wolves made the playoffs for the first time in, you know, 13, 14 years, whatever it was. And Jimmy Butler was everything advertised. Unfortunately, some of that was negative. But on the court, he was everything they could have hoped he would be. The mistake uh, wasn't trading for Jimmy Butler. The mistake, of course, was extending Andrew Wiggins that summer on a long, bloated contract. One that kind of followed them around and continues to follow them around uh, because it's been swapped for D'Angelo Russell's big contract. So the, the, the trade itself for Jimmy Butler... If they had been able to be smart, given him a long-term extension right away whenever they were able to, promised him the money he should have gotten, um, that was a great trade. Like A nucleus of, of Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns can go to the playoffs multiple years. Um, so, I have that as my third best trade. Second best, when the Wolves got Sam Cassell to pair him up with uh, Kevin Garnett back in the day. You know, it was... Uh, the Wolves have been searching, searching, searching. Uh, they, they managed to trade, you know, Anthony Peeler and Joe Smith for Cassell and Irvin Johnson. And obviously it was short-lived again. It was a one-year, you know, they had him for two years. It was one good year, one bad year, kind of a theme here. Um, but Sam Cassell was absolutely a difference maker. Just gave him everything they needed to uh, to get over the hump. Finally got to the Western Conference Finals. Might have gone further if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, doing uh, perhaps doing his dance. So number two trade, the trade to get Sam Cassell in here to get the Wolves as far as they have ever gone in the playoffs. Number one, draft night swap, 2008, Kevin Love, OJ Mayo. 
Um, O.J. Mayo went on to have an okay career. Kevin Love went on to have a very, very, very good career. One of the best players in Timberwolves history, certainly in the top five. I would say in the top three at this point, and we'll see how far um, where that winds up. But, you know, it did, didn't bear fruit eventually. You know, he never made it to the playoffs with the Wolves, but that was still a very, very, very good trade for the Wolves. Now on the bad side, number three, the Marbury Ray Allen draft night swap. Yeah, that's a hard one. That one hurts. Um, I, I still, I don't, I didn't mind the trade at the time, and I think if Marbury had Stephon Marbury had stayed here, it might have worked out fine. But when they had to trade him, got Terrell Brandon in here, and then Ray Allen went on to have like a forty-year NBA career, winning a, a million championships. That wasn't great. Uh, so you know, teaming up, of course, with KG to win one in Boston, which hurt double. Yeah, not uh, not great. Um, you know, the right idea got the point guard of the future, but did not obviously work out. Number two, another draft night swap: Randy Foy and Brandon Roy. You know, Randy Foy was a good player again, but Brandon Roy, my goodness, he he had a lot of really good years before before injuries caught up with him in Portland. If they had made a better trade or made a better pick, maybe stuck with Brandon Roy there, the the, the Timberwolves might have been on a different trajectory from that point forward. And number one, trading away Kevin Garnett. Um, it was inevitable. He It had to happen. I don't even think the haul in retrospect was all that bad, but he just didn't really get like that one kind of signature blue chip out of it. You got Al Jefferson, who's a good player. I liked Al Jefferson. He, he, he went on to have a good career, but you could tell even when they got him, what his limitations were going to be. They got Al Jefferson, Ryan Gomes, Sebastian Telfair, Gerald Green, Theo Ratliff, Boston's 2009 first-round draft pick, which was not going to be great, presumably, because the Celtics were going to be really good, and the Wolves got their 2009 first-round pick back from a blunderous previous trade. So, you know, just a lot of stuff. Like, when you keep adding stuff on, it sounds better, but it's almost like, yeah, I traded my car, uh, and you got a book and a toilet scrubber, and you know, just keep adding things to it. It's like more things doesn't mean they're equal value. So that is my least favorite trade in Timberwolves history. Obviously, had an impact on you know the rest of the rest of the franchise. They've only been the playoffs once since they traded Kevin Garnett, and still chasing that trade. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune, and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have on Daily Delivery today, John Marthaler. Uh, I guess technically this kind of continues the tour of internet friends um we've had uh i joked about that with uh with spencer hall on thursday show but i had je skeets on a couple weeks ago um spencer obviously on thursday show and i'm having drew mcgarry on a show next week um john a very longtime internet friend um wrote for the Randball blog commented on the Randball blog and now um does you know, part of the sportive podcast collective and is covering some loons soccer for us right now john how you doing not too bad i'm uh i've been living in a glass case that says break in case of missing zagoda 
and now they finally broke the it's been a long time it's been a real long time i was telling people i covered last week's game and i said you know when you do something because i i used to cover games pretty regularly back in sort of the 2013 2014 kind of time right when you do something and then they don't ask you to do it for about six years you got to really start to question yourself about what what you're really doing with your life but you were writing like the soccer insider column for like you know for most of that time right that's accurate i've been i've been writing columns for the star tribune that whole time but they they finally saw fit to let me cover a game in terms of game coverage you are no longer a soccer outsider some might say i finally was allowed into the building but I, I mean, I've been meaning to have you on the show for, I've been trying to figure like random reasons. I had Stu on like forever ago to do like, you know, just right. the random uh, read them uh, names out of a phone book, essentially. And uh, had Clarence on a couple of times. So good to have you on. I'm sorry, chicken fingers. Uh, well, I still call him Clarence. That's fine. <laughs> um, let's talk about, so you pointed this out to me and I, I had seen it on Twitter and then I forgot about it. So I'm glad you mentioned this to me, but Thursday marked five years essentially since it was announced basically that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have soccer in St. Paul and we're going to, it's going to be an MLS team. And this is uh this is how it's going to go down. What, uh, what do you remember from that time? It was an interesting like buildup from covering it. Cause there was, you know, basically it was an expansion team and there was two local bidders, you know, the, the Will family was trying to get the team and, and have it play at U.S. Bank Stadium, which I think would have worked. But, you know, from a pure soccer standpoint, I don't think you could have done a whole lot better than having, you know, a soccer specific stadium and an ownership group that seems to, to care about the product. Right. It's it was funny because in some ways the celebration marked the birth of it. And in other ways, it was the worst kept secret in town, I think it had been pretty clear for a while that one of these groups, whether it be the Vikings owners or whether it be Bill McGuire owning what used to be the Minnesota stars and the Minnesota thunder, that franchise, that one of these groups was going to be owning a team in MLS. And the the event five years ago, which was at the, at the Saints stadium was really just uh, a confirmation of it. The other thing I remember from that event is that was when they sort of revealed for sure that the the name of the team was still going to be Minnesota United. It had, they had changed the name a few years prior to that. And there had been a sort of a kerfuffle going on about the fact that Atlanta, who was coming into the league at the same time as Minnesota, was going to be called Atlanta United. And there was some there was sort of an idea that maybe MLS didn't want two teams named United coming into the league at the same time. And it was going to give them three Uniteds. And I remember that. Yeah. There was, there was sort of a, it, it was sort of a tempest in the teapot kind of thing. Cause if you've noticed since then, every team that comes into the league is either FC something or something FC or something SC there's Nashville SC Montreal stopped being the impact. And it is now CF Montreal. So in terms of interestingness, it's gone way downhill and the only interesting thing is inner miami getting soon getting sued by teams from milan and from brazil <laughs> yes uh that's the, that's the only interesting naming thing that's happened since then but it was it was it was sort of the five years ago was sort of the the crowning achievement of what started back in 2012 when the the old second division team that was in the nasl had almost disappeared and they, they had won a championship and almost disappeared and then finally found an owner in Bill McGuire. And so it was, it was sort of the crowning achievement for that group. Um, 
I, I think it's interesting to look at what could have been with the possibility of the Will family and the Vikings being the owner and the the team playing in U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, I it it's funny that in some ways it's funny to me because before Bill McGuire owned the team, the, the Wilfs were here, the Wilfs were in town. They absolutely could have bought the, bought the existing franchise and done exactly what Bill McGuire did. They just weren't interested and they were more interested in building us bank stadium, I think. Um, and so we've seen sort of the, the other case of that of Atlanta United coming into the league because they are owned by Arthur Blank who owns the Falcons and they play in, is it still called Mercedes-Benz Stadium? I, I think believe that's correct. Yeah, Mercedes I believe that's correct. Ben Stadium. I won't use the internet nickname for it. Um, so in some ways, that was what we would have seen with it had the Vikings own the team in Minnesota. And Atlanta had some immediate success. They've had a little less success over the past couple of years, but they had some immediate success and won some trophies. But I was just saying last week, you, you see their games on TV and they're playing in this giant NFL stadium and they have a ton of people who show up for those games. So... I'm not questioning the attendance, but it looks oddly fake just because it's in an uh, indoor football stadium, basically. And I think that's the way that, well, it's the way the Vikings games look from U.S. Bank Stadium, never mind how soccer games would have looked. So in some ways, Allianz Field is a beautiful stadium. I feel like it's it's just about the perfect size for an MLS team. Maybe yeah. that's just in this market, but I think that goes for a lot of different MLS teams. And it's a great atmosphere, great stadium. And so... From a fan perspective, setting the success aside and setting how successful the teams might have been aside, I think the fan experience of watching this version rather than the alternate reality version is probably better. Well, yeah, and that's success-wise too. They've been they've been fine. I mean they they had kind of the soft launch, if you want to call it that, where they played a couple of years at uh, TCF Bank Stadium and now Huntington Bank Stadium, and you know they. You know, the, the attendance was fine. People, the, the enthusiasm grew, but they, I don't think they were, you know, going all in on the roster. They kind of knew that they were having to save a little bit of the money because they were essentially building the stadium themselves. There was not this kind of public money coming into it. And, you know, ever since they've been at Allianz, they've been a playoff team. They were playoff team in 2019, right. got to host a game 2020, obviously such a weird year different, but you know, they get pretty close to the MLS cup and they're competitive, Again, this year, certainly trending like they're going to be a playoff team again, as long as they can get enough results. But yeah, it is interesting to think about the two alternate realities. One, what if soccer goes away completely at a certain point? Does it ever come back? Do they kind of sustain that kind of whatever fan base kind of held with it through all the weird ownership changes through the league, you know, the, the second division league owning the team in Minnesota for a little while until they got more stable ownership. And what, what happens there? Is there that interest level? And what if the, what if the Wilfs were the owners of this team? It, it would be a completely different discussion at this point, I would think. Yeah, I do. I think it's a little bit funny that the Wilfs could have bought the, the Minnesota Thunder, or the Minnesota stars for about $12 and maybe a, a case of beer. And now they, I think the purchase price of Orlando city that they paid in for and, they're owning the NWSL team too, but I think it was 400 million or something like that. So they might've, they might've cost themselves a little bit of money that they would have had to spend a fraction of just to, to, to run the team in Minnesota for a few years, but they could have bought, they could have bought the old team for like three minutes of Kirk cousins. <laughs> Maybe happy birth- less than that. Happy birthday, Kirk, by the is way, that, birthday was is Thursday. That, 
is that three minutes inside the plexiglass box? Or it might be, yeah. Outside what if they would have built the stadium inside the plexiglass box? <laughs> Think about That's, that. Why don't they make the whole stadium out of the stuff the black box is made out of? Um, so that was then. This is now. Um, this year's team got off to the, you know, we've documented this a lot. They got off to the slow start, 0-4, been much better since then getting a lot of results, some of them being draws that maybe they hope were wins, but still, you know, staying in that picture, you know, you obviously follow this more closely than I do, even if I'm, you know, paying attention to all these things. What, what would you, what would you say is the identity of this year's team? Cause I'm having a hard time kind of sorting that out. And I think a team, maybe that's overrated, but I think once you get to the playoffs, at least you kind of got to know how you're going to, how you want to play or how you're going to win. Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. Um, in some ways, the identity of this team offensively just boils down to Emmanuel Reynoso. Uh, he has he was the difference maker really in last year's playoffs for sure, um, and this year as well going forward. He's there. There's um, Carlos Gill in New England is far and away the playmaker of the league this year. But if you look at the assists or creating chances or those kind of those kind of numbers Reynoso tends to be second place in every one of those categories and so you look at what they're trying to do offensively in a lot of ways it's get the ball to Reynoso and let him work his magic and it's worked for them they don't have they have they have not had a you know top level striker who's scoring a ton of goals Robin Lude is come in and he's got six goals this year, but he's certainly not necessarily the guy they want to lean on to score a lot of those goals. They'd like to get Adrian Unu going a little bit up front and give, make him sort of the offensive force. But in a lot of ways, their identity offensively has just been give the ball to Bebelo and let him go. But I, I really think for beyond Reynoso and beyond him being the guy that everybody knows, the, the identity is really taking taking what they have maybe a lot of guys who are not big name guys or not even big name guys in the league very much and grinding out results they like you said they lost their first four but then they went on a run where they lost once in 13 games now this week has been a little rough because they're getting hit bitten by the injury bug but they they really have just been finding ways to get results they they've even had a couple of disappointing ones in them it's not it hasn't been a case of a team that's getting a lot of luck late in games or getting a lot drawing a lot of penalty kicks or anything like that they are basically what the stats say they are and what the stats say they are is one of the best teams in the western conference you mentioned health what's the update there who who do you think is gonna we're transition a little bit here into talking about a big match against kansas city this weekend but you know but first who's who's going to be available do we think for that match and who's out that 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 is one thing they're having a little bit of trouble with right now. They I mentioned Lud, he's probably going to be out. He didn't play, he did not play last Saturday, he didn't play on Tuesday. The 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 thinking when he hurt his calf a couple of days before last weekend's game against Los Angeles is that he'd probably be out for the week, maybe two. They have not put out their injury report for the week yet. So no word on his availability yet, but it's my guess is that he won't play. Um, Franco Fragapane, who's a guy that they brought in from Argentina in the middle of the year, another winger, he's been out. He's not close to returning Nico Hansen, who sort of filled in for Lud while Lud was playing at the European championships this summer, also out. And so they're getting 
the joke for a couple of years, especially when they came into MLS, like we were talking about, was that they were trying to make their whole roster out of wingers because they had about seven or eight of them. And now all of a sudden they don't have any. They Their first sub off the bench the last couple of games has been Justin Master, who was their, who was their first round pick in the draft this summer. And if you know anything about the MLS draft, it's not being the right. first round pick in the MLS draft is not like being the first round pick in the NFL draft. Uh, you're not necessarily going to come in and contribute right away. So not that McMaster is a bad player. And I think he's somebody that a lot of people are excited to see get some minutes, but he's certainly not, wasn't their first choice plan for who they're going to try to replace guys with. And so they're, they're getting bitten by the injury bug a little bit this, this week specifically. And it's a tough week because they had that game on Saturday against Los Angeles, which they really, they really played pretty well, but ended up losing one to nothing. Then they had a, game on Tuesday in San Jose where everybody had to be disappointed because they had a, a man advantage for the last 70 minutes and only came away with a one, one draw. So now they're really in the coming up to tomorrow's game against Kansas city. They're really in the case of needing to get something out of this. And Kansas city is one of the top teams in the West. This is a, you know, I think Seattle probably still feels like the, you know, the, the the bigger hurdle ultimately or eventually but you know kansas city you know being one of those teams that you're going to probably have to deal with at some point and if you feel like you're pushing forward in the right direction you'd like to get a result in this game to kind of show you know kind of where you are at this point in the year right yeah you look at those you look at those teams that are likely to be the top playoff teams in the west and i'm i'm sort of speaking exclusively about the west because minnesota's playing two games against the eastern conference this whole year it's (laughs) <laughs> the twins play more games against the national league than Minnesota plays against the Eastern conference. Um, you, you look at the teams that are likely to be those top playoff teams. M- Minnesota's played Colorado twice and lost both. They haven't played Kansas city yet. This is their first game against Kansas city. They played Los Angeles last weekend and lost that one. And they lost one and won one against Seattle, but that game against Seattle, Seattle had enough injuries and people who were gone at the gold cup that, it was really, they were playing academy players and stadium vendor, vendors and any members of the Roldan family that they happened to be able to get their hands on for that game. So though Minnesota won, and that was a big deal because that was the first time they'd ever beaten Seattle, it still is not necessarily the prove it win they were looking for in terms of being among the tops in the Western Conference. So they've got they've got a number of games against all of these teams left, but they've got to start showing that they can play with these top teams in the West to sort of going into where they'd like to be with the playoffs. How much, how much season is left? It's such a disjointed thing, especially when there's the Olympics, international play. Are we talking about like 10, 12 regular season matches left or how much season they got left? 15 to go, I think. It's a little, normally they're into playoff time sort of in October, but they are, the season stretched out a little bit because it got a late start because of all this waves hands around pandemic stuff. So they, they, they certainly are playing later this year. They've got, they've got regular season games into November, I think. So I think they have 15 to go. Okay. Last thing for you, John, enjoying this conversation. It was announced not too long ago that a pretty big women's game is coming to Allianz, give me the details on that. And what's, what's the significance of that caliber game coming here? Right. You know, we have seen a couple of national team games here at Allianz field already. There was a, a gold cup game that the U S men played here. And there was 
uh, post-World Cup victory tour for the U.S. women that would have been in 2019 against Portugal. And so this game is more like the latter of those two. It's I don't think they're officially calling it, a, well, they can't call it a victory tour because they won the bronze medal, not the gold medal in the Olympics this summer. But The brown, the brown gold, as my four-year-old calls it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's their brown gold victory tour. And boy, is that not a branding win for them. Um, they, they're they playing a number of games this fall that are sort of friendly matches. And so they're going to play South Korea here in St. Paul. And I think it, it's, it's not a competitive game in the sense that it's part of a tournament, but I think it just, it speaks to getting games like that here in the Twin Cities. And I, I think... Allianz Field and the Twin Cities want to be on that rotation of places that the national teams are going to go. And I think the, the, the crown jewel for those things is not only tournaments like the Gold Cup, but especially World Cup qualifiers and that sort of thing. The St. Paul is not on the rotation for the World Cup qualifiers for the men this time around, but obviously that is where they'd love to be is drawing one of those, those big time games that are played at home. And that really is the gold cup aside is the most important thing that the the crown jewels of u.s soccer is getting those qualifiers and being able to play those at your stadium so the fact that allianz field is seen as a potential venue for national team games i think is only a good thing are games like this kind of like i say like proving grounds but just kind of like how, how do you put on a big event what kind of crowd shows up does that play a role when you know been in, you know as they lead up to thinking about things like that yeah, definitely. I think it's it's a little bit like you, when you're hosting the NCAA men's basketball tournament where you host a regional and see whether people show up. And if there's a lot of people that show up to the regional, then you can think about getting into the discussion for hosting the final four, that kind of thing. So they certainly they drew good crowds for both of those previous games that I mentioned, even for that game against Portugal, which was not really a contest. And so I think they'll probably draw a good crowd for South Korea as well. And you start to look at it and say, all right, this is a market that is going to come out even with the incredibly high price tickets that U.S. soccer <laughs> sells for this type, type of game. Sounds good, John. Appreciate it. Uh, follow John's coverage. Star Tribune, startribune.com. Big game Saturday against Kansas City. That's right. Saturday against Kansas City. It's an afternoon game rather That's than right. a game because it's a national TV thing. So two thirty, right? Not big noon Saturday, but uh, not big noon Saturday. It's college football style. Two thirty p.m. on Saturday. Get soon your tailgate going. All right, thanks, John. We'll catch you later. All right. All right, later. Enjoyed that conversation with John, and again, uh, Minnesota United versus Kansas City playing uh, playing Saturday night. Big one for them. I'll be looking forward to watching that one as well. Let's shift gears a little bit. Link's not happy. I read this story by Kent Youngblood. I saw a little bit of the game, but uh, didn't see the post game. Uh, Link's really upset about the free throw discrepancy. They lost second straight time to Connecticut. Um, big games for them, obviously, as they're trying to battle for playoff seating and trying to establish themselves as a favorite here down the stretch. Lost 82 71. Uh, after the game, players were at, players and, and head coach Cheryl Reeve were asked about the game, and there was a common theme. Uh, Cheryl Reeve, you know, complimented Connecticut, said they're a great team, uh, complimented Duana Bonner on her game. But she said, basically, it's unacceptable that her team could only shoot 10 free throws after shooting only seven the other night, 25 to 10. Unacceptable, not fair to this team. And then she was asked about the Connecticut defense. Reeve said, 
25 free throws for the Connecticut Sun and 10 free throws for the Minnesota Lynx. So other than that, it's been great. Similar answers from Nafisa Collier, who just repeated the 25 to 10 line from uh, Lashia Clarendon. Like it was just a, a theme through the whole night. And it's interesting. It's just, I wonder if there's going to be any kind of fine coming for Cheryl Reeve. I don't know. They, they Maybe she towed the line, didn't really blame it on the refs specifically. But uh, Link's obviously not happy. We'll see. You know, when something like that happens, you wonder if it's style of play or if it really is, um, you know, poor officiating, calling things one way and not the other. Um, we'll see, though. I, I don't love complaining about the officiating, but if it happens two nights in a row and you're frustrated, I guess you just have the right and need to vent about it at the very least. Let's end with the cooler. Do you guys remember Byron Buxton? Uh, baseball player, I believe, for the Twins. Uh, yeah, he's going to be in St. Paul Friday um, rehabbing after his uh, another rehab stint after the, the fractured hand. Um, it's been almost two months since that happened. He will play for the Saints on Friday. Not sure how long he's going to play there. Hopefully, obviously, getting him back into the mix here with the Twins sooner rather than later. But uh, good news for the Twins, at least, that he is starting a rehab stint with the Saints. And it coincides with Joe Ryan, uh, probably the you know one of the two pitchers the Twins got in the Nelson Cruz trade. Uh, he was obviously with the U.S. Olympic team, now making his Saints debut, his debut for the Twins organization on Friday as well. So St. Paul, the place to be uh, for baseball. Twins will be in New York playing the Yankees, and we all know how that typically goes. That'll do it for me here today. Thanks for joining me so much all week. Go back and listen to all this week's episodes. Had a lot of fun with a lot of different topics this week. Next week should be great as well. Going to have Drew McGarry. Uh, from Defector, formerly of Deadspin, should be on the show to talk Vikings in only the way he can. Plenty of other good stuff coming up as well. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back again on Monday.